You're going to say BTS, aren't you? Oh, I love BTS. They were so good. Okay. <laughs> I went to the concert. Nice. It was amazing. I Nathan saw, saw, I saw. It. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, actually, in, in kind of like in conjunction with KJ's question, is at what point in your um, your discovery did you get into BTS? Well, is that in conjunction with BTS? <laughs> I don't know. It might be. It might. Well, I don't want to put words in her mouth. I don't want it to be like, this was the reason I started reconnecting. Like, you know. Uh, oh, man. Oh. But at what point did you start liking BTS? That's all I'm asking. Yeah, just what's the best piece of language you learned to not be? And also connected when did you relatedly. When did, when did you love to start loving BTS? You're listening to The John Key Show, hosted by three Korean-American adoptees diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted, Korean, American, and more. And now, here's your hosts, Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. What a dweeb, the great Patrick Armstrong. That's me. The pod. That's me. King of Number the pod. one of the Feastie Boys. King of the pod, Peter number one. Oh, just kidding. <laughs> Welcome back to the John Cheese Show. The last, last episode of the new year. Wait, of the, the new end. year? Of the old no, year. of the current year. Yeah, the current, current of 2021. 2021. I mean, you could be listening to it in 2022. and That's very true. Shout you out. Shouting last, you out. The final intro you of 2021. You could be listening to it in 2020. Final intro of machine. 2021. Episode 71. <laughs> That's not how time um, machines work. That is not how they work, I don't think. <laughs> Who knows how time travel works? You know, like we for break show, the... it's not. The Lord. <laughs> Wait, what? In the, the other Lord multiverse. Knows. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. The Lord Doctor of the Strange knows. That's me. That's me, by the way. <clears throat> the Lord. You yeah. are the Lord. Hot <laughs> yeah. take for all you believers <laughs> out there. Patrick I, is it, it's so yeah, again, God. again, <laughs> the last episode of the current year of the Johnchi show. I am Lord of the Multiverse, Patrick Armstrong, Yikes. here with my fellow lords. KJ and Nathan, fellas, how are we doing in our lordships? <laughs> I like to imagine I just have like a dukedom. Yeah, I, was I can't say, be oh, bothered to a be a lord. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm more of a. I'd jester. rather just be an eternal. I mean, that in itself is pretty. I don't even know where I'm going with that. Eternal. All right. What does yeah. that mean? Everlasting. That's true. I like you know, lord. Lord of the I multiverse just, sounds. I pretty don't right die. I can die, but I don't die unless I'm killed. <laughs> You can die. You get and then brought I have back to have again. my memory wiped. Sure Otherwise, I have too much leader? in my brain. The supreme no. leader, because you were talking no. about your. I refuse to be named to supreme. Snook. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> supreme leader Patrick. Might as well just been a clone. Spoiler alert for Rise of Skywalker. Might as well just <laughs> been <a> clone. <laughs> if you haven't yes. seen that yet, uh, might as well just. You haven't seen the movie clone. that's at least supreme three leader years old. clone. Yeah, because it's been yeah. out for a few years. I don't think has it. I couldn't even remember. I did see an article about it though, but it's yeah. Two years, I think. Three years? Been out for a while. Awesome. Well, anyways. Anyways. We are John the John Chi Show still. Well, John Chi means that we feast and we celebrate. That's what we're doing right now. We're celebrating uh, just being together again. Uh, after wow. at, the, at the end of the year. <laughs> at the end of the year. At the end of the universe. like family. On, we remember <laughs> all the times we... we Where's my lighter? All right. That was great. No, it's really hard because you were out of time with me. And I was like, how were you? I was, we were right in sync with mine. (laughs) So, uh, I I hope I'm waiting. You can edit it. (laughs) So, it sounded great for me, threw you completely (laughs) off. 
Okay, well, I think last week we shared pretty much everything that we would want to share. So I don't yeah. know if we need to waste anyone's time uh, with how our holidays <laughs> such went. such a great interview we got coming up, too. We do have yeah. such a great interview coming up. Our guest is Tia Stark, a world-renowned doula, according uh, to one Industries. of the lords of the multiverse. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, of Stark Industries. That's very yes. true. Um, but Tia is um, a birth worker, and she comes on and drops a lot of knowledge uh, on us about what that means and how not only her journey through that work, but her journey as an adoptee and as a Korean American has led her to a greater understanding of community and also compassion for birth mothers specifically and first families. Um, I really, really enjoyed this conversation and we talk about it a lot at the end, but we are definitely going to have Tia back at some point in 2022. Maybe we don't know yet. We don't know what the future holds despite being Lords of the multiverse, but um without yeah, we're further not fortune tellers we're just eternal um, Ooh, that's a good point point. and speaking of eternal uh just in case you are listening to this missed the episode last week we will not have a new episode next week uh we are taking a break um just to get recharged and refreshed as we punch 22 2022 right in its 2022 face call back no condoning violence the word for word callback to last week um, but without or you further can just ado, hug it. you can just hug 2022 if you want. <laughs> nope, we're punching him right in its face. Uh, nope. it's, it's yeah, it's on the nose. Punching it on the it back. in its face. Yikes. Um, but without further Support ado, it, good job. <laughs> all right, we have gone off the rails, <laughs> and I apologize to you, but quick your to the interview, interview is so hurry, good. Hurry. So we're gonna cut quickly to the interview. To the interview, away. Welcome back to the John Chi Show. We are here for another great interview today with world-renowned, famous doula, Tia Stark. Welcome to the show, Tia. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I know, John Chi are, are there famous doulas? I don't even, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> there are now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, I don't know. You can be the one. So thank you again, though, for coming on the show. Um, uh, as we start all our shows, we typically want to ask you a little bit about your adoption story. And you can share as much or as little as you'd like uh, you know, with our listeners. And, um, and then we will go from there. So go awesome. ahead. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you all. Um, I love the show. I think it's really great. And I think... What you're doing for the community is really awesome. So also thank you for that. Um, so yeah, my name is Tia. I was adopted in 1984, same year I was born. Um, from what I can assume from my paperwork, right? Because it's kind of like a lot of it's just a grain of salt. Um, I was born in Guangzhou, which is really cool because there's just a lot of really cool, interesting history um, from that region, whether or not how much you all know of that. Um, and then I was supposedly birthed in a women's center. Um, so I was not uh, born in a hospital and it was a women's center for kind of unwed mothers. And then I was promptly given up to the um, Gwangju branch for the Korean Welfare Society or Social Welfare Society. I think it's KWS now. And I was there and according to my mom, I was adopted when I was three weeks old, and then I didn't come over into America until I was four months old. All the paperwork and everything. Yeah, supposedly, which actually, like, I have all of my paperwork I got from my mom, and she, um, and then 
it has a lot of information, which I don't know is, I don't think is really common. Like it has my parents' names. Um, that hasn't been redacted at all. So that's really interesting and kind of their, um, the neighborhood that I was born in or that my mother grew up in. So. Uh, in Guangzhou, isn't that just near Seoul? No, it's, like it's a, south. Isn't? It's kind oh, of okay. It's like southwest, right? Yeah, oh. it's. Uh, I think it's closer to like Busan. Okay, so, I must be thinking I'm like of another one. Eighty percent sure my wife went to go teach English, and like the camp that it was located was like over in Guangzhou. Mm. Um, I'm I'm sure that she went over there to teach English. I'm eighty percent sure that Guangzhou <laughs> is where she went. <laughs> she just went on vacation, like no big deal. Yeah, she, <laughs> like, why are you out of the country for a month? Yeah, that's great. And then you were raised in uh, Oregon. No, so I was actually raised uh, well, kind of split between. I grew up in Southern California, and then we moved um, right before middle school, and so I was in mm-hmm. Oregon for middle school and high school, and I hated it. So when I graduated, <laughs> I came back down. Um, and my father still lived, my adoptive father still lived in California. So I really just went to college here, hung out with him. So. Better weather. And so this entire time you've been in LA and now doing some uh, of your doula work. I, and again, I'm trying to think about exactly how to phrase the, the child. You put it as childhood education as well. Yeah, or? so I... I kind of just use the term birth work, which is a little more all encompassing. And it's just a little uh, like doula derives. I think it's Greek and it's uh, kind of a Greek work for slave, which is kind of like. Okay. That seems Um, not great. Also, I'm not Greek. So, um, but just really trying to have a more encompassing term. A lot of birth workers are moving towards just that term because it, does encompass um, like childbirth education, um, you know, what we think of as doula work, so birth and postpartum. It also can, um, you know, include death work for some people. There are death doulas out there. Um, and how long have you been doing this? Um, for a few years now, I thought I was going to go back to school for nursing, and then I realized uh, through a bunch of happenstances and just getting into this work of just wanting to do a more holistic um, side to birth work and also just not wanting to be a part of our medical system in a way that is kind of perpetuating the the harm that it really can do, especially to um, you know people of color, uh, people of the global majority, and just how we treat pregnant people in this country is honestly really atrocious. And I just didn't want to do more to like be a part of that system. And so then your 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 time in LA with um, how how would you say your upbringing was with uh, the diversity, and then the did any of that veer you into this medical community or this uh, um, this direction that you've taken as an occupation? Honestly, no. Um, I really loved growing up in Southern California. I uh, had a pretty like cool childhood in a lot of ways. Um, I grew up in a neighborhood that I like to, I called the UN of my community when I was a kid because there was, I lived in a cul-de-sac and there was only four houses in that cul-de-sac that had kids and we all were in a grid and it was my brother and I, who is also a Korean adoptee, but we are not biologically related. And next to us were two um, sisters who are white. And across the street from them was a, a Latin American couple with their two kids. And then across the street from them was a mixed race, white and black family with also two kids, two boys. 
So we had this weird, like perfect grid of community, (laughs) which was really awesome. Um, And yeah, I loved how diverse it was. Um, It's interesting. I had a really long conversation with my mother recently about just asking her things about my adoption um, that I had asked when I was younger and didn't really get maybe straight answers for, or Mm. she didn't think I was, I don't know, maybe old enough to really kind of understand what I was asking. Um, And I, one of the things I'd asked her, because I remember growing up with like a really big extended family and that included people kind of, you know, from all over, not just um, white folks, which both of my adopted parents are. Um, so I had like Filipino, you know, all these aunties and uncles that really aren't your aunts and uncles. I had Filipino aunts and uncles. I had Japanese aunts and uncles. Um, and you know, there was a big Chinese community where I lived. Um, but I never really got to go experience the Korean community. Um, and I asked her why that was recently. And she said it was because when we were babies and we were adopted, Um, she and my father tried to take us to like Korean markets and Korean restaurants and things like that. And they were actually really discriminated against. Um, and this was also during the eighties and, you know, adoption, especially international adoption, wasn't as like, uh, you know, quote unquote in vogue as it is now. Um, even in a place like Southern California. So that was really interesting to hear. And she told me that she didn't want my brother and I subjugated to experience that kind of prejudice against ourselves or seeing how people interacted with our parents. And so they stopped trying to take us to these places, Hmm. which is really interesting to kind of learn later. Yeah. Because I'm like, I don't have any memory of like being in community with Korean folks until, you know, I was an adult. Um, That was really interesting to learn. What was the process like of, uh, I know we're kind of jumping around the timeline, but like finding your way into that Korean community uh, beyond beyond the the already present like issue of adoption and like being severed once from that community. Like how was it? I think like, again, unbeknownst to you, maybe uh, you know, you're like, I don't know. There just weren't a lot of Koreans in my life, like finding your way back into that. Like what was the impetus, I guess um, for coming into like a greater sense of Korean identity? Uh, Cause it sounds like you might, well, I mean, you might've had like a fairly strong sense of like being adopted, but like moving into specifically like Korean, um, part of you what was that like I would say honestly yeah my move towards like really embracing being Korean and uh, seeking out things about you know the motherland or Korean culture really wasn't until I was in my like mid-30s um, so pretty recently um, I would say I've been on this kind of adoption journey for a really long time but as far as um really diving into my Koreanness. Um, it really just started with language. So I have been trying to learn Korean for some years and it's really hard. And I think part of that is because I'm an adult and learning languages is just that part of my brain is not as uh, flexible anymore. And also I'm sure that there is some trauma related to, you know, the motherland and having this uh, language that, you know, maybe I heard as a baby, but I wasn't able to process. Um, and so that was really part of it. And then just through, I don't know, life, you know, so I haven't been seeking out, like just finding Korean friends, but I have a lot of Korean friends now. 
Um, okay. <laughs> which is weird. I was reflecting on this the other day. And I'm like, I have a lot of Korean people in my life now, which is kind of tight. Um, <laughs> it allows me an opportunity to practice my bad Korean a lot. When I just <laughs> yell things at them and they just kind of like laugh or roll their eyes at me. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was really just through the language. Um, yeah. And then it's like, I also rock climb and that's, I've been doing that for a really long time. And there are a lot of Koreans that rock climb. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Never thought right. of that. I'm gonna have to start rock climbing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's really great. You should do it. I mean, well, I like doing it, but <laughs> there's a lot of really good indoor rock climbing gyms in Los Angeles. So mm-hmm. I know that's even uh, in Colorado. There are some yeah. good ones too. Sure. Yeah. They they, they have uh, actually one of the schools that we're looking at for my kid has a rock climbing gym in the in their gymnasium for nice. kids. That's awesome. So yeah, they they definitely push it out here, but. That has nothing to do with the Korean population. <laughs> yeah, it's probably more something to do with the mountains that you're in. Yeah, too. exactly. Could yeah, exactly. It could be those, but that, that's great. So uh, Ed, have you ever discussed more about your adoption with your brother? Because um, I also have a, a, a non-biological adopted sister, and you know we had her on one of the episodes, but we commented that we never really discussed much about adoption um, with each other. Is that the similar with you? Yeah, we've never talked about it. <laughs> and he's older than me by three years. Um, okay. And he was, I think he was one when he was adopted. Um, and that was a couple years before I came along. But yeah, we've actually never talked about it. Um, and I have kind of speculation on why that is. Um, but, you know, that's also part of his story. So I'm kind of like just letting it lie as that. Um, because I just, I don't know if he's ready. Yeah. You know, but it's weird, right? It's like I had one of my friends, she found that out recently. And because we were talking about community and being in community with other adoptees. And she's like, what do you mean you've never had a conversation with your brother? Like, he's your first community. And I said, I know. That's why it's weird. I get that. I I mean, I feel like so my sister um, was adopted from Russia. And like, we haven't ever had really a conversation about it. Uh, I think. Sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, we're the only people of color in our family. So we kind of relate on that level. But like, I can just tell that she's not at all in that headspace. And so it was like, especially weird for me, like finding the show and finding the broader adoptee community and be like, yo, adoption is blowing my mind. And then like, I meet another <laughs> adoptee and they're like, are you also this way? And they're like, no. Like, oh, okay. Well, I'll just, that's fine. Okay. Bye. Like, because I mean, I think part of it is like, I don't want to force people into this like huge amount of brain work if they don't have to go through it. And like, it'll come to them eventually. I'll just be there when, when it comes to them, you know, kind of thing. So definitely, I think it's different for siblings, like adopted siblings too. I think when you approach the community and you're meeting people who you have no prior relationship with, it's easier to fall into those conversations. And like my sister and I have never talked about it until she came on the show. I think uh, we, made it, <laughs> we might have talked, publicly talked about. It. <laughs> we might have talked a little bit about like what it's like to be different, I guess. And mm-hmm. I think from a spectator standpoint, you know, I saw some stuff that she went through, and um, as we were growing up, that I definitely felt like I think I said this on the episode, you know, didn't step into and help her because I was trying to figure myself out. And, you know, I think that may have been rift causing potentially, but I just think that's the interesting thing that comes with having an adopted sibling as well. It's just mm-hmm. like you are on your own journey. And I think that's the thing about being an adoptee is like the journey so singular, even when you have another adoptee in your family, 
Um, yeah, I don't know where yeah. else was I was going. No, yeah, Sorry, I mean, I'm distracted. it does. I mean, we're siblings first, too, in a way. I mean, when we meet our siblings, we're like, oh, you're now, you know, you're a baby, but you're like, okay, there's siblings. So yeah. you always have so many other things, I think, that you go through in life, uh, you know, growing up or fighting as you get older. You, oh, that's my toy. I mean, you don't, oh, yeah. you're my not going to. My sister gonna, and I were basically enemies first. Yeah. <laughs> you're friendly, you know, you're, you're six friendly, and seven. Right? You're not, you're not going to talk about, you know, adoption at a young age. And it's not until you're older. And at that point, like you said, it's everyone is their own journey. They can make their own decisions. And you might, veer into similar uh interests as as their sibling or, or vice versa but um unless both of you are like hey let's let's discover this this adoption fog i don't think it's probably a hot topic to talk about so well and i wonder too like tia were your parents did your parents like try to raise you in like that like colorblind kind of mentality of like i don't know you're just you're our kid and we don't need to talk about race yes and i think this is kind of one of those uh, KJ, like how you kind of mentioned adoption is really like a mind trip. This is one of these mind trips I've been thinking about for a long time of just how as Korean adoptees, we are unfortunately so ingrained and raised with the mindset of colonialism and of colonists and colonizers. Mm -hmm. um, and yet we are also those people on the other hand who are really affected and oppressed by it. So it's kind of like a weird space to grow up in um more so than maybe someone who is like a person of the global majority raised kind of in this like capitalist colonist society like we all are but then also having the white parents and you're you know like having right, their yeah. values raised on you because this is what they know and what they want to imbue to you although they don't really understand that that's like a weird paradox right yeah um, definitely and that they can exist at the same time, but that it's really complicated. Um, so I, I definitely grew up kind of w in some ways with that colorblind mentality. Um, I don't think in the sense that my parents didn't think that, you know, prejudice existed and they didn't think that racism wasn't a thing. Um, and to be honest, they raised me kind of teaching me that like my life was really going to be challenging because I was a woman more so than oh because I'm a person of color and because I'm Asian which I thought mm. is really interesting um and I remember my dad told me at one point like life is just different and harder for you because you're a girl and I was like 12 and I'm like well that sucks <laughs> <laughs> why are you telling me this thanks for the outlook yeah yeah, yeah. thanks you know and I think yeah, you I, man <laughs> right like I understand now as an adult like where maybe they were coming from my parents are a little older um they were born in the 40s um and so you know i think that you're raised with the the generation you're born in but also the generation your parents are raised in right so for me i was raised with 1940s values like that's weird right. um you know my dad was born two weeks before pearl harbor so like he grew up with a really interesting perspective you know my mom was born in 42 so they grew up in um not even post-war times like they grew up in wartime um and so that's an interesting lens to put on it as well um I will say that I think because my parents lived overseas before they adopted kids and they lived in Asia um and even though Asia is not a monolith and there are so many different aspects of it they probably had a at least a decent understanding of Asian culture um, 
compared to a lot of people that I do know that were adopted and raised by white folks that were Asian, um, simply because they lived there for some years. And they lived in Singapore and they lived in Nepal um, for a while. And again, those are vastly different places than Korea. <laughs> uh, but I do think it at least gave them some baseline understanding of Asian culture, um, having lived there, even though they had also never been to Korea. Yeah. Well, I think it goes back to what you had said before. You said that they had tried to take you to Korean things or places and they felt discriminated against uh, and felt that like you were being discriminated against. And so they stepped away from that. And I think it makes sense because you're wanting to protect your child, but you're also wanting to protect yourself. But it also plays into, you know, what you're talking about, that mindset of colonialism and those values. Like, even if you're not intentionally exhibiting those, you know, there it's all internalized. We all have parts of that uh, operating within us and influencing <clears throat> our bias, both conscious and subconscious. And, you know, I think it's really incredible how you said that you went through that experience, which as a kid can be extremely foundational, then found your way into the Korean community and found Korean friends. And now you have all of that. And I'm wondering, you know, I think to do that, it takes a lot of deconstructing what those those inherent like white supremacist values are that are ingrained in us. And so I was wondering, how did you start to deconstruct that? Because you said you've been on kind of your adoption journey for a while now. And I'm wondering, because as you as you go from this adverse experience as a kid and um, move through your life with that kind of being a foundational piece, how did you find your way to deconstructing those things what what were some of the things that kind of worked for you or have did you even know that that was some the process that you were going through uh during that point mm, that's such a good question thanks for asking uh nice patrick yeah all right see you guys you know it's funny i don't remember a lot of my childhood and i am sure there's a lot of uh you know trauma response in that sure. um I've also had a lot of I've had a lot of concussions over my life, so that also might be part of it. Oh, no. um, okay. Yeah, fun All fact. Right. Uh, it was actually dropped on my head on a sidewalk as a kid. It was kind oh, of oh, no. yeah, yeah. Aye. Like man, no one can make that joke because it's real. Um, <laughs> I feel you. I can empathize because I was dropped on my head as a baby on a hardwood floor. What? Like, an uncle walked me on the ceiling because he thought it'd be funny and just dropped me. Oh no. <laughs> I'm fine, though. I yeah, think. yeah, we're cool. But I'm I think cool. that's just why I can't hear good and why I speak so loudly. I, I attribute it to that. I am not going to admit on air if I have dropped my kids or not. Okay. That means he didn't. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. He's just cool. like, I just want to be included. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. The, yeah, to, you know, fun fact. Uh, but I will, I will say, honestly, like, so much of what I consider to be just, like, my adoption journey is just also my journey as, as a human and as a person. And I would say it really, I really started kind of like reflecting on who I was and who I wanted to be and who I maybe could be, um, after my father passed like some years ago. Um, and it really just made me kind of reflect on like how I was living at the time. And I was like really angry and like really ragey. Um, which I think if you knew me now, is kind of funny because I'm pretty chill. And I don't know if it's because I live in L.A. And I'm like, yeah, it's cool. Whatever, dude. Like, <laughs> all good. 
but that experience just really taught me um, a lot about community, honestly, um, because my dad was also a rock climber. That's how I learned to rock climb. And he, um, he, he died rock climbing, unfortunately. Mm. Um, but what that showed me is that it was a really incredible community and everybody really kind of like um, helped support me and my family through that. And just also, you know, I've learned a lot through rock climbing, as cliche as that may sound, but I honestly think that in some ways it, it probably saved my life um, because I think as adoptees, we experience a lot of grief, you know, and a lot of heartache and a lot of sadness. And some of us, unfortunately, don't know how to how to process that and how to really sit with that. Um, and I think the things that I have learned through climbing over the years. Um, I don't want to say resiliency because I feel like it's not always like a positive thing, um, but it has taught me to be self-reliant, which I think is really important as well as be reliant on others um, and be vulnerable. And there are times where I have totally experienced like near death <laughs> um, <laughs> things and to be truly like I might die here and having to get myself through that and I think in no small way that really reflected on a lot of the rest of my life you know and um and I don't think I ever was really to the point in my life where I felt um where I had any kind of like self-harm or anything like that but there's you know I feel like just as all people experience like you know, highs are really kind of devastating lows. Like I've definitely felt those. And the things that I have learned through climbing were able to really allow me to process and sit through these things and then move through them, right? And allow them to kind of like pass through me and over me and not just stay. Mm -hmm. And then I think through that, um, just understanding of what community can be and what it is really allowed me to self-reflect and understand and kind of think about where I wanted my own life to be and who I wanted to be in community with. Um, and so that really was also a catalyst for me, really just deep diving into my adoption history and story and like what more I could find or as much as I could find. Um, and that really has just, again, through happenstance and again, through climbing has brought me just to be in community with a lot more Korean folks. Um, and then I also did a, started, initiated a birth family search last year during the pandemic, which, you know, great, because we got a lot of time and <laughs> we're all emotionally stable <laughs> um, with the unknown. And I thought it would be a really good time to do that. <laughs> Long-winded answer to your question, Patrick. No, 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 I really, actually, I really appreciate that answer because, um, yeah, I think it's very true that, that everyone goes through different stages in their life and different struggles and to find something that you can connect with that can help you, um, you know, for everyone is I'm sure different, I don't know, different outlets, different, uh, um, things. I, I think I connected with sports and so I used to play soccer, tennis, table tennis, things like that. And I think doing the sports and like you said, made me stronger, made me a better person, made me, and I like, I really appreciate that, that I'm trying to like make that parallel there in my own life. Cause it's a, uh, something I never really thought about as far as, uh, my adoption trauma, as well as, as, uh, um, 
you know, how to cope with it and stuff. Mm-hmm. Something I've never thought about, but just thought about was you as like a really intense, like anime cartoon playing table tennis. <laughs> amazing to me. Just like comic book level <laughs> intensity, like huge head, massive mouth, screaming with a paddle. And each time I like hit it, it was like anime. The yeah, ball fire. would be like on fire yeah, as it was yeah, going. Yeah. I don't know. They can do that. Like, you're making this very sincere point. And I was just like, anime Nathan is flying through my brain. No, I, I can <laughs> I can see that. We'll, have to, we'll find some animators stuff. to recreate yeah. that. So, so I do have a follow-up question. Um, I think it's really interesting the way that you've moved through your journey, uh, specifically your uh, towards your adoptee identity and like coming to terms with your adoption and finding yourself in community with other Korean people um, as part of that journey. I think something, I think that's something that we don't hear as often. It's mm. more becoming into community with adoptees who might be Korean versus coming into community with other Korean people. Mm. So I'm wondering as you move, as you found yourself in those spaces, what, did you have those conversations with them about adoption or was it really more of a cultural connection that you were making uh, as you began to get involved with more Korean people? I would say it's kind of everything. Uh, everyone really knows I'm adopted. That's like in my life. Um, sure. And, you know, it's why I'm always like harping on my Korean friends to like speak to me in my really bad um, Konglish. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. And I think, yeah, that is a really interesting point. Um, I don't, it just has never mattered, which I think is also interesting. And I had this conversation with one of my Korean friends and I was expressing to her how it's just for a lot of adoptees and even for myself, sometimes it's really challenging because people who are either from mainland Korea or people who are, you know, other parts of the diaspora especially if they're older and of a certain generation, don't always accept Korean adoptees as quote unquote Koreans or as uh, Asian, even though we are. And so I think, you know, surprisingly, that's never been uh, a question to any of the people in my life, which is probably why they're in my life and in my community. Um, But I think that really says something about maybe not even just the generation because it's you know people of all generations kind of that i i know but it's just the the attitude of it doesn't matter that i was raised by white folks it doesn't matter that i have never been back to korea yet um and it doesn't matter that i don't speak korean really well um because some of my korean friends don't speak korean really well and they're you know like second generation um and so I think that has really helped me to embrace my Koreanness and to just be like, I'm Korean, I don't care who <laughs> cares because it's not my problem if you don't consider me Korean enough because I consider myself Korean enough. Um, yes. And I'm that person it's now. So it's like, good. yeah, dude, like mm-hmm. I'm in the, you know, I go to like my favorite Korean restaurants and I'm like ordering in Korean and the ladies or Dajimos are like, okay. And I like (laughs) have learned how to say like, I'm a Korean adoptee because they'll obviously then start like having a conversation with me. And I'm just like, yo, (laughs) Um, we can get only so far. But I think that really overcoming that fear, because it is a lot of fear to try to even practice speaking this language Mm -hmm. that should be my mother tongue. Right. But it's not, um, 
And there's a lot of anxiety and there's a lot of, I would say like rejection anxiety because, you know, I've been rejected in, in like these ways that, um, you know, are really big and also really small. Um, and so I think for me like that, you know, I, um, I really appreciated the round table that was done on like reclamation, uh, Patrick mm. that you did. And, you know, that idea of I can be who I want to be has kind of been the like theme maybe of my journey and that I don't need to fit into anybody's, um, idea of myself except for myself and so it's like if I want to take 20 more years to learn how to fluently speak Korean like that's cool I'm just gonna take 20 more years and I'm okay with that and so I think just as I've gotten older really just being okay with the the struggle because sometimes it is a struggle sometimes it's hard like this shit is hard um yes but also yes. being okay with like the small wins and the joys and like the really awesome people such as you all that uh, I've met along the way. And I think just like, being, being open to all of that has really made the experience of not just being in community with other Koreans and Korean Americans, um, but just for myself to be, to allow myself to be in those communities, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it makes perfect sense. And I really, I really love that answer. Yeah. And I think, it speaks to when you say, I, I love when you say that you, you opened yourself up to, to all of it, to experiencing all of it, because I think at the end of the day, something that in every, in all communities that I think is a little bit lacking is we're missing out on each other's humanity to try and fit them into certain boxes. And so when we, when we get to that, when we uncover like the human side of our relationships, it becomes less about being an adoptee or being Korean or being some other ethnicity or whatever part of group or, or however you identify. And it really becomes more about the relationship itself and strengthening the bond. It's not that it dismisses any of those things, but it gives us, it, it takes our common ground and makes it a, it brings us together in the collective, I think, mm -hmm. uh, as opposed, and while we still stand out as individuals, it gives us the the bridges that we need to walk on uh, in order to make it into these other communities, in order to experience not only the joy and the elation of finding other people who understand us, but also the fears and anxieties of should I even be doing this? And like, and should I even be on this journey at this point in time? And I think that's the best part, maybe not the best part, but I think that's one of the most profound things we as adoptees have to navigate is because we do sit at more intersections generally than a lot of people do. And I think what people outside of the adopted community miss is our humanity. And they, they, they zero in on us as either not Korean enough or Asian enough or too adopted, but like more like you're a, you're technically a white person or whoever you were raised by or <laughs> something adopted. like that. I would that. love to be called too adopted. <laughs> you're you're you way too, too adopted, adopted sir. Yeah. Um, Stop eating at P.F. Chang's. But yeah, so I just think I just really <laughs> appreciate just kind of your answers to these last few series of questions that I that I posed, because I think it really speaks to that, that mindset that you've ha you've had, or, or you've been able to kind of build in yourself and through your relationship with your with your father and through rock climbing, and having these things that have allowed you to open yourself up, maybe let go of some of that anger that you were talking about, because I really empathize with that, because 
I still have a lot of anger that I'm trying to let go and release. And my grandma always tells me, you know, there's no point in being angry. Like it doesn't serve anybody. It definitely doesn't serve yourself. And I'm like, well, I'm still mad. Yeah. But I think that <laughs> I just think that I, I just really appreciate um, everything that you just shared here. And I think I feel like a lot of that has to have led you maybe into your work for as a doula, because you kind of have to meet people at the human level in order to provide them the appropriate and the right care um, and to, to be good at what you do. You know, Nathan said that you're a, a world renowned <laughs> doula. And so I'm wondering, you know, how much of that played into how much of your journey and, and your experiences, not only as an adoptee, but just as a person have led you into that line of work specifically. That's a great question too. Y'all are asking real good questions today. Thank you. Um, I would say it was honestly after I became a doula or birth worker that I really reflected on maybe like what led me to get to mm -hmm. this point, even though I had all of these other maybe trajectories in my mind. And I think what really has stuck with me is that through birth work and through supporting and witnessing birthing people, it has really allowed me to be more compassionate towards my birth mother, who I have never met mm. and I may never meet, mm -hmm. um, because it has allowed me to see how vulnerable people are when they're pregnant and how vulnerable people are when they're giving birth and how easy it is for people to take advantage of that. Um, and it's really heartbreaking and it's really sad to know that probably a lot of our mothers were alone and afraid and mm. didn't have the the power to advocate for themselves or the um, choices to even advocate for. Um, and, you know, that's also why I'm really passionate in the work that I do because I feel like birthing people should make whatever choice feels good for them, but know that they have choices and know that they're not just this cookie cutter line of options for them and that it's like whatever feels right for them, like that's tight, cool, like, Let's go to bat for that and let's really try to help make that possible, you know? And I think that just seeing this has definitely, like I said, really made me able to forgive my birth mother for a lot. Um, you know, it's, I won't forget these things, right? Because how can I? Because it's such a part of who I am. But it has allowed me to forgive a lot of things, even though I feel like um, even in the process of like the family search I did, which we can talk about, like that has kind of still not maybe, I don't know if it's made me any closer to uh, contact with her, even though we did find her. Mm. Um, and, mm. you know, that's kind of a still like a weird what's happening gray area that I'm pursuing. Um, but yeah, again, to answer your question, yeah, just birth work has really, I think been necessary for me, not just to heal and release through a lot of things, but also again, find the real compassion for people and find maybe a deeper understanding that a lot of us wouldn't have if we haven't witnessed birth, which I think most people don't, mm. unfortunately, not anymore, you know? Um, and it wasn't until recently, right? Like most people were born in the home, um, even in America. And, you know, your 
people in your family and your kids and your children all witness this event, which is really powerful and you are supported and you're in community. Um, and I think to see people without community and see people with community and see kind of like that whole spectrum of experience, um, again, yeah, it just really allows for a lot of, of just grace with, with, um, you know, birthing mothers or birthing people. See, one of the things that I so appreciate about your story and just, I mean, the small, like, and I cannot emphasize how small these glimpses have been into your story. Cause I know that there is so much more, even that you wrote to us initially that like, I wish that we could. I don't even remember. Uh, to be honest. <laughs> no, I just, yeah, I just, I wish that we had more time and we'll have to have a part two uh, because like, there's just so much, but I, I, I really appreciate it. So this thing um, that has been sitting with me, right, in in that, like, so the four of us were raised by white parents. Uh, and I think to my knowledge, like, all of us, like, raised in that, like, kind of colorblind headspace. And like, Nathan, you said earlier, you were like, I don't know, none of us were, like, sitting down talking with our six-year-old siblings about adoption and all those things. And yet, I wonder, like, part of it, too, I think for me is the parents need to intentionally model and like initialize that conversation right but like be brave and sit in those spaces and the thing that i've heard in your story over and over and over again is you have been brave and sat in spaces where like there is a lot of potential for rejection and there is a lot of like potential for grief or life-threatening rock climbing apparently or <laughs> you know whatever that is right like there's a lot of potential for danger and yet like consistently like that bravery and that willingness to sit in those gray areas that willingness to sit in those like areas of cognitive dissonance like even as you're wrestling with like i don't know i'm like i was raised by colonizers but like i was colonized and also like how do we like all of that kind of business right and yeah and i think even then thinking through your work now with childbirth education and and in like just generally uh, birth work, right? And and the way that, that continues to shape and inform your worldview um, is just so wonderful. One of the things that you um, mentioned was being in your form. One of the things that you mentioned was being connected to the broader adoptee community has given you language. And I wonder if you could give us like, what's the the one thing that like, if you like when you meet a new adoptee who's kind of like going on their journey or like really intentionally thinking about the journey, you're like, this is the one piece of language that I found most helpful to me in my journey. What would you, like, how would you answer that? I don't know if there was one specific, like, identifier or one specific, like, phrase, maybe. And for me, just, like, uh, really connecting with the broader adoptee community, which I've known some adoptees over the years, mainly Korean adoptees, and, um, one adoptee from uh, Central America, and we mm. kind of talked about adoption, uh, but I think we were also like young and stupid, and there was like too many other things to talk about. Like, who has time for this? Uh, and so, what I mean by like, it's just really given to me language. I feel like for me, I don't know if I would ever say that I was like in the fog. Mm. To be honest, I always felt a lot of these things. I just didn't know how to express it. And I didn't know how to, mm, not just terms, right? But I just think that talking about like sitting with myself and, and being comfortable with myself, I don't think that I had 
the the presence to express myself the way I do now. Um, and I think that, to be honest, was a lot of it. And also to just understand that, you know, as some as a group that is not a monolith and our experiences are so vast and varied, and yet we have these common threads. And I think that just also realizing that there are so many of us out there that even though we have these different lives and these different paths, they intersect at so many different places. And that, you know, that is like you were saying, Patrick, like that's part of the humanity that we can bind together with. And that's kind of the, um, the threads that, you know, like kind of quilt us all together and really overlap and, uh, blur those edges of like, everything is you versus me. And it's like, well, we're all, we're all kind of, you know, like overlaying on each other in these different ways. And if you just find the ways that that happens, um, I think we can all just be a little, you know, kinder, like your shirt says, Nathan, be kind. Like we can all just be a little kinder to each other, a little gentler with each other and hold each other accountable. And also, you know, just all of the things, all of the things. Um, and so I think it just allowed me to say the things that I had been keeping quiet for so long. And to be honest, that was a lot of kind of just dispelling, um, kind of some of the, you know, the resentments or the anger, things like that, or, you know, just writing things down and now being able to say like, oh, okay, here's a place where it's not about like, oh, we're all right and they're all wrong or things like that. It's like, oh, we have this voice. And as individuals, we can create a collective voice that hopefully will break through a lot of this other noise. And by noise, I mean, you know, that, that narrative that, runs throughout the world about adoption, right? That is not being spoken by us as adoptees. And I, so I think that is one of the really beautiful things about the community and finding the community is to, to just really add my voice in the ways that I can to this, this larger swell of voices. And hopefully that will one day continue to make greater change. That's awesome. I freaking love that. That was amazing. <laughs> You're speaking my language to you. You are speaking my language. Yep. Uh, well, we're going to take a hard left turn and add our voices to the swell of voices reviewing a certain Korean food item. So, now you're okay. speaking my language. Boom. So, yep. Uh, prepare yourselves for what could potentially be a life-threatening uh, activity. But we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll be jumping in with the Korean food. Here's the break. Welcome back to the John G Show food eating portion. Thank you very I'm going to say that because that's what we're going to do. We're going to eat some. Well, y'all are going to eat. Right. Right. Oh, sorry. I we're going to eat. KJ already ate. We're going to watch Spoiler you alert. eat. <laughs> he couldn't. He couldn't. He couldn't, you're not, uh, you're not getting it. mad at him like you get at me. I, I'm, I'm holding it in right now. <laughs> He's raging <laughs> internally. I'm so mad, but I'm not going to say anything because <laughs> that's fine. I but uh, yeah, I I got this item today. Um, 
we are eating a cracker and I liked it because it reminded me of the crackers that we had had on another episode that we all really liked. So I thought by getting this cracker, we could then compare with, with the Kosame crackers. Yeah. What's so, this cracker uh, called though? This is the Lote Harvest Sweet and Nutty. Ooh, Sweet Habisita. and Nutty. Harvest. Oh, yeah. Harvest. I was like, okay. I was like, what the heck is Habisita? Uh, but now that, makes that sense. I hear you say harvest, <laughs> harvest. I'm like, oh, <laughs> sweet I and nutty. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm usually really good with Konglish, but I do not know what this is supposed to mean. But Hilariously, harvest. I had this sitting up here, and I just noticed it out of the corner of my eye. I'm like, oh, that's the name. Let me act like <laughs> I could, let me act like I could read that Hangul. I could. Okay. So, okay. well, I don't not. spoil it for us, KJ, but. Uh, I'm looking at it. It's definitely it's got more seeds in it That's than the Kosami crackers. I'm I don't know what the seeds it, are. What, are. what are those black sesame? It looks like black sesame. Yeah. Like so. Yeah, about the size of a Ritz. Very similar to the the Kosami. The Kosami. It just smells like butter. <laughs> the Kosami yeah. were square mm-hmm. though. I'll and say coconut. This, um, yeah, this and more coconut. <laughs> was were like, very uh, similar. Yeah, Kosami were like. Uh, Octago- octagonal. These are nice. Like, like they weren't like, yeah. yeah. No, so I, I I love the Kosame crackers and I still buy them when I see them every once in a while. They are very, um, <laughs> Patrick crumbed his microphone. <laughs> um, they were very good because I liked the sweet and salty of the Kosame crackers and the coconut flavor. This one does not have coconut flavor. Mm-mm. This me. one. But it smells like it. Yeah. All right, if I'm going to be honest, well, I'll wait. I'll wait. Yeah, what, just, you just wait to get into it. But does this one have shellfish hmm. in it? Mm, good question. Because don't the Kosami, I'm pretty yeah. sure that's like that's like the one thing that I remember from that episode, besides how great those crackers were, was Nathan being so jazzed that they oyster shellfish. Oyster! <laughs> oh, yeah. Oyster, oyster shell. Okay. Okay. Is it, it does have oyster shell in it? It says what? It says contains oyster. Nice. Right, there you go. Well... Right not after deterred, not deterred from and it. right after <laughs> buckwheat and buckwheat. buckwheat nice oh it actually says may contain mm. may contain egg peanut buckwheat tree nut and oyster hmm interesting walnut I, specifically i have to say these are pretty good i like them differently than i like the Costa crackers <laughs> i like them is that, differently. that is also I how i thought of it okay like i feel like i would eat these with a different mood <laughs> i okay here's here's what i'd say about them i would say that i would have these with like a coffee or a tea mm. and i wouldn't necessarily do that with the kosami crackers okay i like that they fit about a hundred of these crackers on the package that's nice yeah there's more of these mm-hmm. than there are the kosami too but it's nice lote, with coffee i wonder which came first orion oh, yeah, or nice. hmm. it smells like there's cinnamon in here but it doesn't taste like it but it smells like yeah, a know. It, you know it smells like cinnamon toast crunch Mm, yeah mm. there's a yeah there's a which a i haven't had richness. in like 20 some odd years but i can still mm. recognize the smell the nose knows <laughs> the nose always knows it's got a good aftertaste too these are nice I, yeah i would i would i'm not mad at eat it. this entire package <laughs> all right uh thoughts and ratings mm. tia Nathan, you i think you had a oh sorry yeah i was gonna let tia, tia go first ladies tia, first. Oh. first you're right guest um, first I don't know. I don't. I like them. I don't love them. Ooh. But I would definitely smash this whole package right now. 
Interesting. Okay. With the coffee. Scale from one, one to coffee. five. Mm. Uh, one to five oysters. And you can do fractions. <laughs> one to five oysters. Okay. I'm going to give this uh, three and a half oysters. I like mm. that you smelled it one more time before you, you were like, I, like, I feel like there's something else in here like, that wait a minute, I can't. Is this going to bump it up? There's something yeah, convince else that me. I can't Convince remember, my like, nose. I can't determine that, what it is, but I smell Of all it. the incredible things that you shared with us, that was my favorite part of this. <laughs> 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 the you're like, snack. I think I'll give it... Because that's what I do. I smell. I mean, all my smell food, is so, so much of you. what taste is, though, right? True. So hey, mm-hmm. and I hear you. The, the taste is different than the smell, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know. I mean, both are good. Did you say three point five? She said three point five. Okay. So. Three point five oysters. Nice, Nathan. I'm, I'm bumping it up. I'm going to go four point five. Mm. I think it's good enough that I would eat, like you said, the whole package. I would eat it with other things. It's different from the smell to the taste, but both are still both pleasant. Um, yeah, I mean, I really can't think of anything that would bump that 0.5 up to perfect, but so I'm just, I'm going in with a little bit under 4.5 for me. Uh, so I really like these, and I'm going to say something that might be blasphemous. I think this is actually better than Whoa, the Cosmic Cracker. hot Might be because I haven't had any in a long time, Yikes. but I think these are really good. And... Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoy it. I think there was, I think I get the coffee, like eating it with coffee. Mm-hmm. And I think that I would rather have a snack like that than the Kosumi, which is just a standalone, in my mm-hmm. opinion, um, or operates as a standalone. So I'm giving it a five. Okay. Good. Wow. I think like, this um, has more buttery flavor to it than the Kosumi. Well, this does. one's also like more yeah. biscuity, right? Yeah. Like it's not like a cracker. Like the Kosumi right. cracker is like a straight up crunch. Like it's like a crisp. Mm. You know what I mean? Like there's not a lot oh, to yeah, it, yeah, even yeah. though like it has that flavor. But this one, like like you said, Nathan, it's like kind of like a Ritz cracker. Like it has, yeah. you know, like traditionally what we think of like as an American cracker. Like it's got a little, a little bit more body to it, you mm-hmm. know, which I think is why it would pair with a drink nicely. Um, I man, I don't know. They they exist in such a similar place in my brain hole, <laughs> and I don't know. Like obviously, one of them has to edge the other out. They can't just be a tie because um, this is in England. We don't do ties here. So, um, I I'm gonna say Kosomi wins, which I think would put this one at like a four and three quarters. Like it's it's mm. real tight. Like mm. it's. It's up there. It was really, really good. I really enjoyed it. And so the reason I don't have it for this recording is because Sarah pulled it out of our snack cabinet from the Janchi shelf. I was like, I was just looking for something uh, crunchy to, to snack on. And it, I saw that silver package and I was like, <gasps> I didn't know we still had Kosumi crackers. And then it wasn't Kosumi crackers, but I still ate it. And then I was like, oh, this is basically a Kosumi cracker. But now I realized that I shouldn't have. <clears throat> so sorry for the subpar podcasting, but your boy had the munchies. Mm-hmm. So really on that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you dragged uh dragged Sarah into that too. I did. <laughs> Gosh, the voice of the show, KJ. Come on. Uh, I feel like this would be really good as like a pie crumble topping. Oh, yeah. Know, like, like a, yeah, like on a like berry that. pie or something, <laughs> like a rhubarb pie. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I like that. Um, well, um Tia. Oh, yeah, Isaac. Yeah, Tia, amazing interview today. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we really uh, appreciated taking the time out and am- amazing answers. Everything you said, I think, 
we all were you gave like, such great answers. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I thought they were all great. great. I did. Questions. A plus. So, well, Patrick, he asked all the good questions. I don't know. <laughs> I just throw them tangents. I think we all ask good balls. questions. So, balls. We all ask questions. <laughs> side balls. I don't know what that is, but I'm saying it more. See, I don't even know what I'm saying. But no, we appreciate it. Uh, where can people find you if you would like them to uh, get in contact with you or follow you on Instagram? Um, feel free to share any of your, or maybe they want to hire a world famous doula. You know, so. <laughs> uh, I really am only on Instagram. I have a Facebook that's really just so my mom can see that I'm like alive and doing stuff. Um, tracks. Not because yeah. I actually like use it. Um, so I'm on Instagram two ways. Um, mm-hmm. If you just want to see me like snacking and rock climbing, you can go to Stark Incorporated. Um, Marvel didn't take that one from me yet. Um, yeah, you could make a pretty penny when they do I come. Right? I don't know. It's been a while. That was, I've had that it's since, since the, it's since the beginning. So nice, still around. <laughs> um, and then if you want to just follow my birth work slash adoption uh, stuff page, it's Assumption uh, Birth. Okay. Yeah. Very nice, Great. and that'll be linked in the show notes as well. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Thanks, thank you so yeah. much to you. Yeah, thank Absolutely. you all. If you're ever in LA, let me know and I'll take you to my favorite Korean restaurant Ooh, run by a bunch of Dada Ajima. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we definitely will. Um, and yeah, again, thank you so much for the wonderful interview. If you if y'all want to hear more interviews just like this one, make sure you go to joshyshow.com. You can find all of our episodes listed there. You can also go wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to follow us on social media, you can do that at John Chi Show. We're also accepting email currently because we're super cool. You can send that to John Chi Show at justlikemedia.com. If you're so inclined because you do really enjoy our show, please, please, you don't have to do this, but please, please do it. Go Drop to Apple Podcasts. <laughs> Go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a, a rating and a review. Even if you hate the show, please make it a five-star rating. Uh, you can say whatever you want in the comments. <clears throat> and if you do also feel inclined and would like to support the show, you can go to johnchyshow.com backslash support. Uh, there are a lot of cool merch options, a lot of different ways that you can help support us and keep the lights on, keep the mics on, because without <laughs> the mics, we can't do any of this. So It's true. Um, if you want to find me, you can reach me at Patrick in the world on Instagram, or you can go to my website, Patrick in the world.me. KJ. Nice. You can find me at KJ Relke, wherever I want to be found on the internet. And Nathan can be found at N Nowak on Instagram and Nathan Nowak on Facebook. We did it, everyone. Seamless transitions. That was so (laughs) seamless. And this may be the best outro that we've ever done. So I'm not going to ruin it and say, we will be back next Wednesday with another brand new episode until then. Johnchi. Hey, yo. Great. Perfect. Uh, (laughs) Stop the recording.